Good morning, Tri-Valley. I am here today at the May Nissen Swim Center, also known as the Rincon Pool. And this is the kind of day that you want to be at a public pool like this one, except for the fact that the pool is not open. Pools are still on their way to being open here in Livermore with the shutdown and all of that. I can't wait for this one to open up because it's really hot today and I'd love to take a splash in there. The reason that I'm bringing you this message from the pool today is because we are going to follow Jesus to a public pool, but not a swimming pool, not a recreational pool like this. It's a pool that people would go to in the hopes of being healed. And we're gonna see Jesus heal a man, but also ask him a very important question today. But before we get to that, I want us to back up and talk about this series, Watch and Learn, how to treat people the way that Jesus did. We have to acknowledge there's a lot of different kinds of people in our lives, the different influences that we have friends, family members. Uh, there's a lot of podcasts I listen to or authors whose books I read. There are health and fitness experts that I sometimes will listen to as well as civic and social leaders. But we need to acknowledge that Jesus is different. The first few chapters of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is greater than all the angels, that he's greater than Moses. And the book of John tells us why. It's because Jesus is not just another popular podcaster or some clever teacher or wisdom that we'd like to get our hands on. Jesus is the very word of God. God created the world by his word. And John says that Jesus is that word in human form. God himself became flesh and dwelt among us, not just to do a few card tricks or to get us, get our lives a little bit more organized. He came to save the world by sacrificing his life. And whoever believes in him and follows him will have everlasting life. Listen to what John says about who Jesus is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came to be through him. But the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, but his own people did not accept him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So it's important for us to understand that Jesus is different than any other influencer in our lives. And this is why we follow Jesus and we watch and learn from him because he is God. And if we really want to know what life is all about, if we want life that isn't just a shinier or more comfortable version of what we've already got going for us, then we follow him. We watch him. We learn from him. We do what he did and we treat people the way that he treated them. So as we watch him today, we're gonna hear him ask a very simple yet very challenging question. Would you like to get well? This is what happens in John chapter five. 
Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the Pool of Bethesda, with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, sat on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, he knew he had been ill for a long time, and he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat, and he began walking. Now, if you know this story, there might be a couple places that you're hoping we're going to go with this lesson. Maybe it's the fact that Jesus heals the man on the Sabbath, and the religious leaders and don't like that, and they have this negative reaction to it. Or maybe you're hoping we're going to point out the fact that Jesus tells him later that he needs to stop sinning. So there's healing, followed by some moral guidance. And these themes are going to resurface again in John chapters 8 and 9, and we'll talk about those more then. But that's not where Jesus is calling us to follow him at the moment. And that happens sometimes. We think we're following Jesus to a certain place, maybe even a place we'd really like to go, and then we end up somewhere different. We might end up somewhere different today. In today's quick encounter that Jesus has with this man, I want us to notice just three things. One is that Jesus heals just the one guy. And yes, it's true, there are times in the Gospels when he heals crowds of people, when he spends all day long healing people. But here, he's in a place where there are lots of sick people. It's a place that's known for attracting sick people hoping to be made well. Couldn't Jesus have just healed all of them? Yes, I think he could have. Well, why didn't he? I don't know. It could be that it's because he was in Jerusalem and he had all these critics and opponents. Maybe he didn't want to draw too much heat this early on in his ministry. Maybe it's because he had a particular compassion for this man, because the man had been sick for so many years. Maybe it's because Jesus felt bad for him because he was always unable to get into the water. He was always last in line. And remember, in, in God's kingdom, the last are first and the first are last and all of that. Maybe that's why. We don't know the reason that he healed just this one guy. But I think it's a good example for us, and it can even be a word of relief for those who want to see change and healing and wholeness in the world. Here's what I mean. It's easy to become overwhelmed by the brokenness of the world that we live in. There's no shortage of things to pray about or works of compassion to be done. Tri-Valley is a praying church, and we pray all the time for the healings of people's bodies, for the healings of broken systems, for society's hurts, for misguided people, homeless people, desperate people, wounded and scarred people. We pray that evil people won't succeed in their plans and that the hearts of our enemies will be changed. But if we're honest, it can seem like it's not working sometimes. We see the wicked prosper. We cry out with the psalmist in Psalm 73, why do the wicked prosper? We can experience a sense of helplessness and even a paralysis as we think, I can't possibly help all of these people. Well, here's the word for us today. Don't help all of them, help one of them. I had a conversation with Justin a few weeks ago and he shared an illustration that stuck with me. And I asked him to share it with you this morning. So take a listen. Hey everybody, it's Justin here. Um, Jacob asked me to share a few thoughts with you and so I want to take a moment to do that. Uh, a few weeks back I was telling Jacob about a devotional that I had shared with our teens in one of our online gatherings. And the title of the devotional was Foxtails and Sin. And uh, just to try to make some connections here, I'll, I'll be honest with you up front. Um, when I did this with the teens, I, I spread this over two weeks. The first week, I spoke for at least 30 minutes. The teens would probably tell you it was more like 45. Uh, the second week, I kind of continued this thought. 
and uh, and built off of what we had said in the first week. So to try to summarize this into a short little five minute clip is uh, is challenging for me, but I want to get to the heart of why I think Jacob asked me to share this with you. Um, essentially, some background here. Uh, my backyard is loaded with foxtails. I mean, they take over. They are everywhere. Um, they grow all over. It's almost like I don't have a lawn. I just have foxtails. And you guys, most of you know, I have a dog. Uh, he's wagging his tail in the back over here. And foxtails are terrible for dogs. They're not good for them. Uh, they can create all kinds of health issues and things like that. And, and so Trisha and I know, like, hey, we got to go do something about this backyard. Now, typically, what I can do is I can bring out my lawnmower and I just mow them all down. Sucks it right up into the bag, dump it in the trash can. We're done. Uh, at least for the most part, we give us give ourselves a fresh cut. You know, those foxtails are still there. They're going to grow up again. We're going to have to do it again. We break out the lawnmower again and do it over. But unfortunately, um, right about the time shelter in place started and all of that, my lawnmower broke down and I'm not mechanically minded. So uh, I have yet to be able to fix it. So that's created a challenge with dealing with this. Now, I also have a weed whacker. Uh, a weed whacker is far less effective at this job for one main reason that you can go and you can spend that time getting, you know, chopping down all the foxtails and the weeds. But what happens is they just scatter. Now they're everywhere. They're all over the yard. And this, the problem that was there originally, which is getting rid of the foxtails, is still there. You still need to go back and rake and do all that other stuff to get rid of them. So Trish and I were talking one night and she's like, you know, I, I think we got to get out here and we got to go pull them all by hand. And I looked at her, I'm like, you're crazy. Pull them all by hand. I mean, my whole backyard is foxtails. Like, this is going to be an impossible mission. Like, where do we even start? Where do we begin? But sure enough, um, that one Sunday night, we got our whole family out here, all the four of us. And we all split up and took different sections of the yard. And we just started pulling foxtails, one at a time, getting them out, throwing them away. Now, one of the things that's really significant about this that stood out to me is that when you pull foxtails by hand, you are not just cutting them down shorter, you are actually pulling out the root of the issue. You're starting to get rid of the foxtails so that, you know, they, they hopefully don't come back. We'll still have to be vigilant with it. Foxtails are one of those things, they just take over. And so one of the things God revealed to me in doing this is, is it just was this reminder and this reflection of the sin condition in the world around us, in our own hearts, as Christians, in our churches. Ecclesiastes, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, even in the places of justice, there was wickedness. Even in the places of righteousness, there was wickedness. And church, that means us too, that even in the church where there's supposed to be God's righteousness and his justice, there is wickedness even in us as Christians. So the first place that I wanted to start was taking this look at us, right? But then you look out to the world and it's like, man, so how do we even do this? This is just overwhelming. This is a backyard, a field full of foxtails. Where do we start? And I think a lot of it comes back to what Trish said. We just got to go start pulling foxtails one at a time getting rid of them and trying to do some work. And we're going to have to stay on top of it. There will be more days of pulling foxtails and all of that. Um, for me, this really stood out about the sin condition in the world. I think one of the things that uh, when I spoke with Jacob that he was um, hoping would connect to today's message is that sometimes as we look around us, the problems can seem overwhelming. 
whether it's a sin issue or a social issue or whatnot, I think as a Christian, what I'm beginning to understand is the effect of the sin condition on the world has drastically just, it, it's, it's created so much foxtails everywhere. There's so much work to be done, and that can feel overwhelming. And I think for us as a church, it starts by coming together as a family, just like me and my family did that night, and we just go and we start pulling these foxtails one at a time and, and start to make that difference. Now again, to summarize this in a five-minute video has been difficult. I feel like I'm leaving out way more that I want to say. Um, but I hope there's some connection for, for us today. And if you'd like to talk about this more, give me a call. Um, I, I have some notes from that I had shared with our teens that night. Um, I want to share this with you. One last thought. This comes from 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He writes this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, I think that this is one important place that we have to start, is that we have to first of all acknowledge that we have sin. We have foxtails in our own yards, in our own fields. And if we, if we deny that, we are deceiving ourselves. We are not deceiving God. He looks down and He sees the field full of foxtails. We're not deceiving Him. We're deceiving ourselves. And it says that the truth is not even in us, if that's the case. But if we take that first step, confessing our sins, pulling one of those foxtails, laying it out before God and saying, hey, here's my field of foxtails, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and then who's going to be the one to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? It's going to be God. He's going to actually, as we go do some of the work in this ministry of reconciliation that he's called us to, pulling foxtails one at a time, that he's going to be the one to actually cleanse us and all of creation from all unrighteousness. Hopefully that's uh, something that is beneficial for you to hear this morning. Um, thank you for listening. I'm praying for all of you, and um, we will, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Justin. I think that's a good word. So if you feel overwhelmed, keep in mind, you don't have to do everything, but just do one thing. Maybe for one person. We see here that Jesus not only heals this one guy, but he heals him instantly. And that's the second thing that I want us to notice here. He doesn't send him to rehab. He doesn't give him pills that might start to work in four to ten days. He heals the man instantly. Okay, what are you saying, Jacob? Should we try to go heal people instantly? Well, not necessarily. Actually, it's probably important for us to understand the difference between being like Jesus and being Jesus. If we have a Messiah complex, thinking that we are the answers to everyone's problems, then we are ultimately going to disappoint ourselves and them. But when Jesus does something miraculous, like healing someone, John calls it a sign. It's kind of like a sneak preview of what life in God's restored kingdom will be like after the time of the resurrection. Now these signs are all important and they're impressive transformations. Like the blind see, the lame are walking, dead people are raised to life again but they're never the solution. After all, a healed blind man can see, but he still has sin in his life. Lazarus was raised from the tomb, but death still looms over him. The solution is Christ's victory over sin and death on the cross, and God restoring his creation, and ourselves included, into how it should be. 
Jesus' miraculous signs point to this. They point to a time when there's no sickness, where death doesn't threaten, and when we experience true peace. Now, these signs reveal Jesus' true identity as the Son of God. They demonstrate his true power, and they make it so that people can come to believe in him. So, when Jesus heals this man at the pool, it removes an obstacle that makes it easier for the man to come to believe and follow him, which is ultimately what leads to salvation. Similarly, there are things that we can do in people's lives to remove obstacles that are keeping them from finding Jesus. Our works of love, compassion, and our efforts to meet someone's needs are a way that we can bring God's future kingdom into the here and now. I think about the Livermore Homeless Refuge, a local organization that we partner with that provides emergency shelter for homeless people that are living in Livermore. And I've even heard leaders from the Homeless Refuge admit that what they do is just a band-aid. It's a temporary solution. It doesn't solve homelessness. It doesn't make jobless people suddenly financially independent doesn't teach anyone how to fish so that they can eat forever, like the old saying goes. But it does say, here's something that I can give you right now. Here's a a warm place to sleep tonight. Here's a meal and a toilet and a safe place that you can get some sleep and not be interrupted. That's an important thing in some people's lives. I met one guest of the refuge named Gary. Now, Gary lived in his car, but he had a job at a factory, so he was saving up money to get a permanent place. He had special permission from the homeless refuge director to leave earlier than the rest of the guests so he could get to his job. The homeless refuge helped him through this transition time by giving him a free place to sleep and some meals that were provided by the volunteers. Two things that he didn't have to worry about so that he could get closer to a stable place in his life. It didn't get rid of all the foxtails, but it tackled some of them and it helped Gary out. So think about this. What does removing obstacles from people look like in your life? You could meet a need pretty quickly for a lot of people who are feeling isolated and dealing with loneliness and depression just by giving them a call. It could be as simple as bringing words of love and encouragement to the people that you live with versus words of criticism. It might be giving money or some of your stuff to someone who's in need. It might be paying someone's rent as a surprise or sponsoring a child who lives in poverty. I had an interesting experience last week when I was filming on location. I was filming a sermon video and I got engaged with this family that were living out of their car. Breaking these boundaries, especially in order to share Jesus living water with people, is a very clear way of saying, I do care about you. How you doing? Hey, good. How about you? They were watching me film. They became curious and we came over. We started talking. I ended up getting to know them a little bit. Bought them a tank of gas, courtesy of the Tri-Valley Church of Christ. So thank you. You guys helped out with that. We gave them a little bit of peace in their day. So yes, remove obstacles. Give band-aids to people who are bleeding. But remember, the ultimate need is Christ. The man in John 5 is at the pool in Bethesda trying to get into its healing waters. But Jesus shows him, that's not really the healing water that you need. I am, I am the living water. And he heals him to get him closer to the, real, to the realization that real salvation, healing and wellness are found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And I think that's why Jesus asks him the question that he does. It's a question that we can all learn a lot from. Would you like to be well? That's the third thing I want us to notice. Jesus asks him the question. At first glance, this may seem like an insensitive thing to ask someone who can't walk. Oh, you can't walk, huh? I bet you'd like to walk. Wouldn't that be nice? 
Who says that to somebody? This man is forced to lay on the ground for 38 years. And he's at a pool that people go to for healing. Of course he wants to walk, Jesus. Why would you ask him that question? But notice, Jesus doesn't ask him if he wants to pick up his mat and walk. He asks him if he wants to get well. And that's a different question. There's a scene in a movie called Searching for Bobby Fischer that has always kind of stuck with me. It's a story of seven-year-old chess prodigy Josh Waitzkin, and he's got a coach who tells him about this point system that he's come up with to help Josh earn a master chess certificate, which is kind of just a motivator he uses to get the boy to practice and get better at chess. But eventually, all Josh cares about is getting that certificate. Uh, his fixation on it actually prevents him from getting better at chess. And his coach tries to get him to see that the certificate is not what matters. You're focusing on the wrong thing. Take a look at this clip. Can we expect it anytime soon? How many points is it worth? To make the opening move? Yes. Forget the points. How much is it worth if I do it? Do it for its own sake. Do it for the love of the game. I want to know how close I am to getting the certificate. Forget the certificate. But I want to know. I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I don't care. I don't understand. It's White's move. I want the certificate. You want the certificate. You have to have the certificate. You won't move until you get the certificate. You win. Here's your certificate. Fill it out. Doesn't mean anything. It's a piece of paper. It's a Xerox of a piece of paper. Do you want another one? Do you want ten? Do you want twenty? Thirty? I've got a briefcase full of them. They mean nothing. They mean nothing. Well, in the same way, it's easy to become fixated on the healing that Jesus provides in the Gospels and miss the ultimate truth that these signs are pointing to. Of course, we all want health and security, and we want wellness by our own definition of it. But Jesus challenges our fixation by asking the question, would you like to get well? Would you like to have true wellness, the kind that only Jesus can give you? Jesus could have healed all those people at the pool. He could have healed every sick person in Jerusalem. In the other parts of the Gospels, he heals crowds of people. He feeds 5,000 people. He does amazing signs. He walks out on the water. He drives out demons. He changes water into wine. He, he raises people's loved ones from the dead. Jesus can do all of this. But he still wants to know our answer to his question. Would you like to get well? Because he knows that you can have all the money in the world and still have nothing. You can have physical health, but still be spiritually broken. You can gain the whole world, but still lose your soul. You can have a pile of blank certificates, but they don't mean anything. So this is an important question for us to ask ourselves. Do we want living water? Do we want to know God the Father? Do we want to live as new creations in Christ? But this is also an important question for us to help other people ask as well. Do you want the restorative presence of Christ in your life? Will you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Will you follow him 
Do you want to live the resurrected life that he offers when these bodies of ours wear out and the doctors finally say, look, there's just nothing left we can do? Jesus is asking and Jesus is offering, but notice he's not forcing anyone to say yes. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus knocks, but he won't break down the door. You have to invite him in. Jesus asks, knocks, and invites, and we should do the same. Tim Keller put out a book series last year called How to Find God. They're these short little, little miniature books. You, they're, they're short and they're tiny and they're small. You could probably read each one of them in like 20 or 30 minutes. They're called On Birth, On Death, and On Marriage. Keller says that during a major life change, like when a baby is born or a loved one dies or when you get married, people are more in touch with their own human limitations and they're more open to responding to Jesus' offer to get well. I've been reading these and I found them to be really helpful. I want to recommend them. They're, they're a good little summer read and they may just better equip you to seize those opportunities to invite people to follow Jesus during those times when they are open. Not everybody will say yes, but just like Jesus doesn't force his wellness on people, we can't force it either, but we can offer. We can live it. We can clear obstacles that are in people's way to help them get closer to the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for this example that you've set for us. Thank you for the way that you treated people, the compassion that you showed, the way that you brought healing to people's bodies, healing in people's lives, but that you pointed them to a healing that is deeper and more necessary. That truth of following you and knowing you, believing in you and loving you and putting their trust in you. And I pray that we can find that as well. And that it's not a living water that we keep to ourselves, but it's something that we share with people. Give us the opportunities to do that. Give us the courage to do that when the opportunities arise. Bring healing to those we love. Heal the bodies of those sick people that we've been praying for. Heal the, the situations in people's lives that are out of control. Uh, we definitely get to the point where we run up against something that we cannot conquer ourselves. There become too many foxtails for us to pluck on our own. So we ask you to be the mighty God who saves and to do this in our lives. Heal ourselves, heal our land, heal our community, heal our church, bring your healing, provide your living water. We love you, Lord, and we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.